So welcome to First Baptist. So glad you joined us. And uh, Dave, I did not know Anaya was going to be leading that song. It just means a lot moving into the message. And you'll understand, kind of we got emotional during it. So we'll get to the message in a few moments. First, I need to um, talk about the, the marriage event that's coming up. So a young boy declared, when I grow up, I am going to marry mommy. You can't marry your own mother, his sister cried out. Then I'll marry you. You can't marry me either. He looked confused, so she explained. You can't marry someone in your own family. He thought, and he would look puzzled. You, you mean I have to marry a total stranger? He cried. Yes. When we marry, yes, we get to know each other, but it's taking two lives and it's bringing them together, and the rest of our life is trying to figure out how to make that work. I am so glad that... I have a wife that's patient, and I have a Holy Spirit that leads and guides me. So every year at FBC, we try to do something for marriages, a conference, a seminar, go somewhere, do something. So this year, we're inviting um, you all to a, a marriage conference, March 1 through 2 at the shack over there towards, towards White Cloud, uh, between Fremont and White Cloud. And we, we've got kind of two options. We'd love for couples to spend the night. We reserved a bunch of rooms at the shack. And when you come on Friday night, dinner at 6 o'clock is included. Your room is included. Your uh, banana split that they're so famous for is included. And breakfast the next morning is included in the price. But also, we want to make sure that if you can't spend the night, that you're more than welcome to come on Saturday. So we're, it's available to commute, because Saturday is going to be our main sessions. We're going to have three sessions Saturday, one after breakfast, and then um, um, two in the morning, and then one in the afternoon, and we'll have a lunch in the middle. So two options. Come on Friday night, spend the night with us. We're going to have a great time. If you want to commute, come sun Saturday morning and spend the day with us as well. Brian and Megan Wolf from Rothbury Community Church are going to be our speakers. They love the Lord. It'll be fun. It'll be engaging. Um, but what we want you to do is call the office here first, and then we know that you might be commuting, so there's going to be lunches and stuff on Saturday. Um, and then we'll give you directions, like call the shack to get the room reserved. So, so call FBC first. So I'll just invite any couple that wants to come to that. Also, I just wanted to say thank you for praying last week. As I talked, my voice got weaker and weaker and weaker, and I was struggling at the end of the sermon. Um, I know many of you came up to me and say, I'm praying for you. And it's just amazing because at the beginning of the second service, it was a weak voice. By the time I finished the second service, my voice was stronger than it was all day. And uh, just thank you for praying. And I've still got... A little weaker voice today and a cough they can't get rid of, but I'm excited. I love um, to be able to open up God's Word and preach um, with you. So today's sermon, um, I have a couple questions to start with as we begin. What have you done to care for a widow or a widower this week? What have you done to care for an orphan this week or a foster child or their family this week? How about a foreigner, an alien that's living amongst us? Pastor Ryan, don't put this on me. I'm not. God is. So I'm going to take Sanctity of Human Life a little different direction this, this, this week. 
Sanctity of human life is a day set apart to remind us that the sanctity of life is a foundational truth found throughout the entire word of God. It affirms the sacredness and the inerrant value of all human life, regardless of age, race, gender, or condition. It is based on the truth that all humans are created in the image and the likeness of God and are created to reflect his glory. All creation all humans so my prayer this morning is that this message will help us get back to god's heart when we talk about orphans and widows so my sermon title is a question that we have to think about individually and as a church are we living like jesus wants us to in our care for widows and orphans we have to answer that as a church and we have to answer that individually because the reality is when we read the word of god It doesn't take us very long to discover that God is very, very serious when it comes to widows and orphans. We're going to look at about six, seven passages right now, just verses that I want us to read together that shows us God's heart on this. So please stand with me, and we're going to start in the book of Exodus, because that's where we've been studying. But we're going to start in Exodus 22, and we're going to read some passages. Here we go. You must not exploit a widow or orphan. If you exploit them in any way, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. Next one is Deuteronomy 10, 17, and 18. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. Next, next one is Psalm 68. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in his sun-scorched land. Isaiah chapter 1, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the right of widows. Those are mandates, our mantra to live out as we follow Jesus Christ. But these are just a sampling we find in the Old Testament. We turn to the New Testament and we see it all over. But we're only going to look at one verse, a very familiar verse, James 1:27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God. The Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Father, these are your words, just a sampling of your heart towards widows and orphans and foreigners and aliens and those that are down and out, the poor. Father, today may we catch a glimpse of your heart even more and may we do something about it. So may the words that I share, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. I'm passionate about this subject. And may you be glorified. Because you are my rock. And as we'll learn today, you are our redeemer. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, please take a seat. 
So when we read James 1.27, it's not so much of a statement from James to the church, but it is a criticism. James at that time was the lead pastor at a church in Jerusalem, and he was pouring out to the church that they were not to live culturally. They were to live biblically. They, 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 they were not to turn to the culture. They were to, what, what the culture was doing and the church was doing was elevating the needs of the wealthy and the prominent and they're giving them a prominent place in the church and they're rejecting and neglecting the needs of the poor and the widows and the orphans so 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 James criticizes his church for catering to the culture and he calls them out about it and he shows us in his letter that pure religion real faith in and of itself is countercultural because it begs us as followers of Jesus to love those that can't give us anything in return so the need is great when it comes to orphans and widows and, and widowers and, and, and care unicef has these statistics in 2023, 153 million children worldwide are orphaned. When we did our adoptions, we had shirts that said 147 million orphans. So the number is growing. Now, the definition of an orphan is a child between 0 and 17 that has lost one parent. That's the definition of orphan. One or two. So when you do a look at kind of the developing countries... There's 132 million orphans in those countries. But in those countries, 13 million have lost both parents. That's still a staggering number when we think about it. And in globally, in 2022, an estimated 13.9 children have lost one or both of their parents because of HIV or AIDS. It's the highest, still the highest contributor to orphans around the world. Locally in Michigan, we don't hear the word orphans and stuff as much, but there's over 10,000 kids in foster care systems right now in, in our state. And if you go on certain government websites, there's sites that say there are over 200 children that are in immediate need of adoptive families. And you can go right on the list and you can look at their faces. There's a huge need for foster care right here in Oceana County. So I just want to say to those that have opened their homes to foster care or are thinking about it, thank you. Way to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. Thank you for opening up your heart. And I'm praying that we see a movement of more people opening up their homes. Widows and widowers. There's 258 million worldwide. I went through our directory and I looked we have a lot here at FBC as well. What have you done to care for orphans and widowers? Now understand that these numbers, they each represent an individual that God, our Heavenly Father, cares for deeply. A, a child left without parents. A spouse left without with a husband or wife. And the question that I want to pose this morning, what does it look like us for Christ followers to be more like Jesus in this area when our culture says, bow to the influencer? And our culture tells us to celebrate the wealthy, celebrate those who are celebrity or who are good at things, show favoritism to them. And a culture that says, it's me, 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 me. Above everything else, get what you can in life. Fortunately for us, that's not the heart of God. God's heart is on massive display in the scriptures when it comes to widows and orphans. Not only the verses we looked at, we get a whole book on that. 
It's a book that shares a beautiful story of love and tragedy and triumph and ultimately redemption. So our story begins with a woman named Naomi and her husband, Elimelech. I thought about that name. I googled it. It's not in the top 10 names anymore. In fact, it was 29,918th last year. People still named their kid that. It was crazy. So this couple, Naomi and Elimelech, they lived in a small town, a town that we know well. It was Bethlehem. And then unfortunately at that time, a famine had broken out. They were forced to move to find food. So Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons moved from Bethlehem to a land of Moab. Now, Moab was not the most desirable of locations to be raised in a family. In fact, we were told there were many scandalous people there that were known for their perverse sexuality. It was a wicked place. And while they were in Moab, things went from worse to worse to worse for Naomi. In three verses, we're told that Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, making her a widow. Her two sons married one of the Moabite women which was a huge no-no in the Israelite nation. We are told 10 years later that both of her sons died as well. This was the worst-case scenario for the Israelite woman. She had no descendants to carry on her name. She she had no one to provide for her, and she had two daughter-in-laws that she needed to help provide for now. And at this point, she had nowhere to go. We are told sometime later that Naomi hears through the grapevine that the the famine in Bethlehem has receded. So she decides to go back home to Bethlehem. She urges both of her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and the other Ruth, who should be familiar to us, to stay in the hometown of Moab. She urges them to stay because she believes several things. Number one, she believes if they come with her back to Bethlehem, they will have a very limited chance of finding a husband. Number, number two, they will spend their entire lives viewed as foreigners if they go back to Bethlehem. And, and number three, at this point, Naomi believes that, that she's fully under a curse. She believes that God is actively working against her. And anything she does or anybody with, within her, by her will suffer as well. So she pleads with her daughter-in-laws to please stay. Oprah says, I'll stay. Ruth is not so easily convinced. So in fact, this is what Ruth says in, in, in verse 1, chapter 16 and 17. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Ruth is committed to Naomi. So they head back to Bethlehem together. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was committed to her, She was determined to take her, and she said nothing more. She accepted what was happening. So they begin their new lives together. And one day Naomi tells Ruth, go into the fields and harvest some grain so that we can eat. Back in those days, God God had an old school welfare program. 
Farmers were told to intentionally leave the edges of their fields so that the down and out, the poor, <coughs> sorry, could come in and glean off the side of the fields. We're told that Ruth was gleaning in a field owned by a name of Boaz, who coincidentally was from the same clan as Elimelech, Naomi's husband. So God's moving. God's sovereign. He's orchestrating things here in a big way. Boaz meets Ruth. He encounters Ruth, and he's immediately smitten by her. He shows her incredible favor. He, he blesses her. And that night when Ruth returns home to Naomi, they have a very, very interesting conversation in Ruth chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man whose field she had worked. She said, the man I work today's name is, is, is Boaz. Verse 20. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He's showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Say that word with me. Family redeemers. That's a key phrase here. In their, in their time, there was a system established called family redeemers or kinsmen redeemers. We see it through the Old Testament. The kinsman redeemer was a male relative who, according to the various laws of the Pentateuch, had the privilege and the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was, who was in trouble, who was in danger, who had need, and it was a right to act. The, the Hebrew term for king, kinsman redeemer designates one who delivers or rescues. We see that in Genesis and Exodus. Or, or he redeems property or persons. Leviticus, Jeremiah, we see stories about it. We're told there's three requirements for a kinsman redeemer. One, you had to have the right to redeem. Meaning you had to be next in line kin. You had to be part of the family. Number two, you had to have the resources to redeem. To provide for the family in the midst of the tragedy, you had to have resources, the capacity to do so. Common sense. And you had to have the resolve to redeem. You had to be willing to redeem. You had to accept the responsibility to redeem. This is really important, and we'll come back to it in a moment. But let's finish our story in the book of Ruth. Boaz becomes Ruth's and Naomi's kinsman redeemer. He, he later marries Ruth. And they have a son, Obed, who will be the grandfather of the King David, whose line Jesus Christ comes from. God's hand is in all of this. It was a beautiful story of redemption. So you're probably thinking here, Pastor Ryan, why this story? We've, we've been studying Exodus for the last few weeks. Why not use Moses and Pharaoh's daughter, which we read about in Exodus chapter 2? That helped my thinking. It spurred on what I wanted to share this morning. Why not one of the many other stories in the Bible about redemption and compassion? I've thought about that. Because in a culture that is increasingly views the widow and the orphan as liabilities and burdens, opportunities for Boaz-like generosity are all around us. 
We just have to have eyes to see and a heart that's willing to be able to do it. This story of Ruth is so timely and so impactful because it shows us God's beautiful method to provide for those with no family through the broader family of Jesus Christ, the broader family of faithful men and women who have put their faith in Jesus. So the big idea today is this. Read it with me. The gospel expressed through the local church family has the answer to the cultural dilemma of caring for widows and orphans. So we've already talked, we've sung about the gospel. There's one gospel. We preach about the gospel every single week. When you accept the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ, you become part of God's family. The church family. Those of us that have our faith in Christ. Something happened between the, the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures of the Old Testament and then the new, the Christian, <coughs> the New Testament of the Bible. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have become one family. All of us in this room, all believers around the world, are one family. In this new covenant, in this new family, country no longer matters. Race no longer matters. Socioeconomic status should no longer matter. Marital status, though important, does not matter. Your past no longer matters because we are this one big messy family that God has brought to himself through Jesus. God has grafted us together to be part of his family. So what does a Kingsman Redeemer look like today? How is it that the local church is the answer to the cultural challenge of widows and orphans? Three thoughts for us to wrestle with. As the local church, as the local church, we have the right to redeem. We have the right to redeem. It's through Jesus' shed blood that we're brought into one family. We're celebrating communion today, and it ties in beautiful. But Ephesians chapter 2, we read Ephesians 1. Ephesians 2 says, it's through Jesus' shed blood that we are brought into one family. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your how many sins? Many sins. But God, here's that word but again that I love. But God, so rich in mercy, loved us so much that even though we were dead, even though we were dead, nothing we can do. We can't earn it. We can't be good enough. It's all about Christ. Before Christ, we were dead. And then verse 8, look at this one. God saved you by his grace. When what? When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. What are the results? No longer dead, but alive. No longer in bondage to sin, but set free. And then listen to verse 19. Again, keep thinking about you have the right to redeem. Verse 19. So now you Gentiles, that's all of us, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Through Jesus, our, kings, our kinsman redeemer, we are one family grafted into Jesus Christ. No matter where you came from, what you've done, what's been done to you, how you began, 
That's why we can live and love each other. That's why we can gather together and work through reconciliation. That's why we can love the orphan, love the widow like they're our own family. There's huge implications to understanding what it means to be part of the family of God. The thought that I... The thought that I don't think I can love a foster child the same way I could love my biological child should be a foreign concept to a believer. It makes no sense, absolutely nothing to us. Because if we've been grafted into God's family through Christ, it does not matter if you're my adopted child, my love for you is just as great for you as my biological child. If you're a short-term foster child, who will be in our house only for three months, come on in and let me show you love. If you're the neighborhood kid that has a super dysfunctional family, our family will be the one shot of you who have seen familial love and get love and acceptance. And we can point you to Jesus. Come on over for dinner. Spend the night. There should be no, literally no difference between the way we should love those neighborhood kids Compared to how I love my own flesh and blood. It's the same thing when it comes to widows and, orphans, widows and widowers. As I sit with so many of them throughout the weeks, I hear that Sundays are the hardest day to get up by themselves and come to church. Sit with my family. If you need a ride, I'll come and pick you up. That's the beauty of this new covenant idea of God's family. It wants us to feel that because it, it changes our perspective where we understand that this new idea of family and numbers are, are no longer meaningless. They're not just statistics. They become deeply personal. It's no longer 153 million orphans worldwide. No, those are our kids. We can make a difference one child at a time. There's no longer 250 million widows and widowers. Those are our mothers, our grandfathers, our grandparents. And we've got to dive in. It's our responsibility to redeem, to step in. We have the right to redeem because we are the family of God through the blood of Jesus. You guys tracking? Hopefully it's convicting. The second thing that we must understand not only do we have the right, we have the resources to redeem. Say it with me. We have the resources to redeem. I'm going to share what I believe from God's word about himself. If we can all grasp this, it will be liberating for us. It will set us free from so much anxiety, so much worry, so much stress. Because when it comes to God, I see that there's two mentalities. There's an abundance mentality and a scarcity mentality. And as a pastor of this church, I could operate in a scarcity mentality. There's only so much, so I'm going to cling on to it. And I'm going to hold on with closed fists. And if you decide to go to another church, I'm going to come and wring your neck. No, I'll be sad. We are a family here. And when somebody hurts, I hurt. When somebody leaves, we grieve. But I'm not going to dig my claws in. I'm going to trust God with that. Or there's only so much money. We should never even consider doing this ministry or this project or my, an adoption. No way. That's just way too much. 
When we live this way, we have, often have the mindset that financial prudence goes before obedience to God. Yes, we have to be prudent, but what is God telling you to do? I need to have this figured out before I can say yes to God. I can't even consider supporting that child until my finances are in place. Believe me, we would have never adopted one time, now two times, if that was the case. But God provides. We need to be living every day with a ministry mindset that comes out of an abundance mentality. What do you have for me today, God? And then we walk in faith believing that God will meet that need. That God will provide. How it tells us in Matthew and in Luke that God is like a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. God is not stressed by all the overwhelming needs out there. His heart is to give and give abundantly, overflowing, more than we can fathom. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. God, you're in control and you have enough. If your heart is for orphans and widows, you will supply what we're doing. I believe that as you look around this room in both services, that God has assembled the perfect mix of people with passions and gifts and resources to be a family to a family in need. No matter what the reason that he is good, that he's brought you here so we can work together because he has the resources and they flow through him to us. And if that is true and we serve a God of abundance, not scarcity, what I'm about to say next is, is very logical. Then through our church and all the other gospel-preaching churches in Oceana County, God has provided enough people and enough resources to meet every need within the foster care system. If things are not getting met, it is not the government's fault, it's our fault. We have the resources to redeem. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So here practically are some ideas. Support foster and adopted families. As simply as, how can I help? Can I hold your baby? Do you need me to hold, come over this week so you can have a break? Uh, do you need me to pick anything up at the store for you? Can I drop it off for you? We can carry the load together. This month for our benevolent offering. You'll notice I have this up here. We're, our offering is going to Dan and Sarah McGann, one of our foster families. They've got another child in their home. As a church, we need to support them. So if you want to give the benevolent offering, you can put it up here or mark your offering in the other place for benevolent. There are so many coffee drinkers in this room. Buy your beans from somewhere that supports orphanages and babies. It might cost you a couple more dollars. Man, I went to, I had a gift card to, to, to uh, Big B. Seven some dollars for a coffee now. When we adopted Anea, the doctor at the orphanage, he volunteered his time. He was there all the time because there's lots of kids. But he did not want to get paid because he had a coffee business on the side. And he sold beans. And that's how he supported himself. One of our best resources to help widows and orphans and single parents is our small groups. I hope you're in a small group. This is our answer for pastoral care, one of them. 
This is our answer for meeting basic benevolent needs. It's through our small groups. We have heroes in our church that are small group leaders who shepherd you and mentor you and pastor you, and you do the same to them. Care, show up, get involved. Maybe today this is the moment that God's speaking and says, he's stirring your heart to do something. Maybe today you move forward in the thinking about adoption or foster family. Maybe you begin to have an open mind to it. Maybe you inquire about an open, a, a waiting child. How you get there will look totally different for everybody. I've told this story before. When I started dating Stace, one of our, few, our first few dates, she sat me down and she said, just so you know, I'm going to adopt someday. Took me about 15 years to God burden that on my heart, but she was patient. Maybe today you decide to, to support an orphan or love on an orphan financially. Stacy, after we did our last two adoptions, she still wanted to continue to support other orphans. So she came and she cleaned church for, I don't know, seven, eight hours a week for the sole purpose of having her money go to the orphanage. It's the only reason she worked. Because she saw a need and she said, I've got a few hours, I can do that. Maybe your heart is stirring towards widows this morning. Pick up the phone and make a call. Set up a visit. Send a card. Letting them know you're praying for them. Get involved with a widow or a widower. It'll bless the socks off of you and them as well. Family of God here at FBC, have a little courage to step out in faith. God will blow you away of how he provides when we care for widows and orphans. So as a local church of Jesus, we have the right to redeem because, because through Jesus we are one family. We have the resources to, to redeem because God will provide. He will not call us to something that he will not provide to do. And finally, number three, is this is my prayer over each one of you, and I've been praying this like crazy the last few weeks, that we will have the resolve to redeem. So here's a question for you to think about. If God provides for every need, why are there so many needs out there? Obviously, many people make bad choices. Obviously, we live in a sin-filled world. But the unfortunate answer is, is that, that God has given us the right and God has given us the resources. There are so many people that won't do anything. Or they'll do one thing and say, I'm done, I did my part. I had a conversation with a man a few years ago. I was leading a trip to Lily of the Valley Orphanage. He had complaints about us going. I had lots of people complaining about us going. He was complaining about how unsafe the trip would be, that we should just send money to the orphanage. I told him, I told him all the things that we're doing to keep safe, that we we're trusting God with our lives and ministry to the orphans because God was calling us to it. I told him how the kids loved it when we came and how our youth were being changed by interacting with these orphans, how their hearts were opening up to what God had for them in the future. I appreciated his willingness to talk. I invited him along on the trip because his daughter so badly wanted to go. And he said, no, I'm not going. It's just easier for me to stay here with my family. God has not called me to this. He has other people that he can use. I then encouraged him to give some money to the trip. Again, he said, no. He said, he could spend his money somewhere else in a better way. And that phrase still hits me between the eyes today. 
It's easier for me to stay here. The more I thought about that, more my frustration turned into sadness. We see this in the book of Ruth as well. We get to chapter 4. And there's a man in chapter 4 that was the first in line who was supposed to be the family redeemer. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who, we came, who came back from the Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem if you wish. It was his responsibility, his right. So then Boaz, then, then Boaz goes and he lays out what it would look like. In verse 5 and a few other spots. And look at his response in verse 6. Next slide, please. If you want the land, then buy it here. I'm oh, sorry, I read the wrong one. So this, is still, this is still like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then in verse 5, Boaz lays it out, and here's the response. Then I cannot redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. I will not do it. He was willing, but then he counted the cost, and he's like, nope. So here's the deal, church. Real religion, and I'm not talking about fake stuff where you show up on a Sunday morning, pretend our lives are together, and then go back out into the dysfunction. Real religion, and I'm not talking about the consumerism and the unwillingness to contribute. Real religion, according to the word of God, is serving those who literally have nothing to that give you back in return and refusing to be corrupted by this world. Say, I am going to be countercultural and I'm going to live out the heart of God. That's real religion. How are you doing? Our salvation never becomes because we earned it or we did something for it. Salvation is the work of Jesus Christ and his work alone. We're saved by grace through the work in the, of Jesus Christ. We stand on that over and over and over. But real faith always translates into action. Through Jesus, we are one family. It's no longer those orphans, those widows, those kids, those pesky neighbor kids. It's our orphans, our widows, our kids. Through God, we have the resources to redeem. He has given us everything we need in Christ Jesus to meet the needs that are out there. And my prayer is that Heart FBC would have the resolve to do something about it. We did at one time, and there are a few families doing it now, and I praise God for you. But we need to dive in as a church. God has commanded it. I've watched more football this year than I have probably in the last few years. And even last night, once we got home from a, we had an indoor track meet at Grand Valley, I get, get home and flip on the Green Bay and, who are they playing? San Francisco. And every time there's a first down, there are these big celebrations like, whoo, first down, whoo, all these dances. And I sat there thinking, what if we as a church celebrated when our people did something for God? 
when our people saw the need and did it. Instead of having questions like, oh, they can afford it. They don't need our help. Or put it on somebody else. We celebrate what God's doing every single time. You go visit a widow, woohoo! I'll celebrate with you. You invite them to sit with you at church. You send a check to an orphanage. You adopt. We celebrate that. That's God's heart. And he's asked us to be the kinsman redeemer in our culture. We have the right. We have the resources. But do we have the resolve? I promise you, as long as I'm your pastor, I'm going to keep this in front of you. Every year I preach on hospitality. This is part of hospitality. Inviting people in. There are people in our congregation that do a phenomenal job of inviting teens and kids into their homes. Why not the rest of us? Why not the rest of us? So let me ask you the question I started with. What have you done for an orphan this week? I thought about saying this year. What have you done this week? What have you done for a neighborhood kid? For the foster family? What have you done for a widow or widower this week? Have the resolve to be obedient to God's word. Be a family redeemer.